Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. On this episode, we discuss popular anime movies. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is Anthony. And this is James. Today, we're going to be doing an anime special. We're going to talk about anime as a background, some of the films. We also are uh, welcoming a special guest, Jacob Kostler, who is our sound engineer. He's been doing our audio for a while, so he's awesome at it. And he's also an expert in anime, so why not have him on the show? Welcome. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for coming on. First of all, You've upped our audio game so much, so thank you so much for doing that. You are a killer, and I was do. I, I could only go so far with audio mixing. I'm not that good at it. I'm better with editing and video, but you are the you are a champ, bro. Knees, knees. We sound awesome now. So that's why everyone, if you if you notice the difference, like six months ago, it's because of Jacob. Yep, I've uh, uh, I've taken a lot of time and money into audio, so it pays off. Hey, it's a lot of hard work, so we really appreciate it. So. This episode, we're basically going to talk about, start off with like the history of anime. Then we're going to get into se- several films of anime. We're going to talk about Spirit Away, Akira, Ghost in the Shell, A Silent Voice, Your Name, Grave of the Fireflies. And so just, Jacob, tell us what anime means to you, why why you're such a huge fan of it, and like what about anime makes you such love it so much, you know? Yeah, anime has been, honestly, it might be the first thing I can remember watching as... Pokemon was like really hitting its like peak popularity when I was growing up. So I I think that was probably the first show I ever watched. And uh, from there, I was like, I like Pokemon. So then I ended up picking up Yu-Gi-Oh! And basically all the uh, all all the different anime that were basically getting getting picked up for kids uh, by four kids and were shown on Cartoon Network on uh, on obviously all these different channels. And it sort of became really influential in cartoons. especially in the early 2000s, uh, for just basically any sort of large uh, children's channels that are like on there. So Disney had a lot of anime-inspired stuff, and so did Nickelodeon. And I just sort of really grew up uh, really neck-deep in that culture, and I it sort of just ex- expanded from there as I've watched more mature shows as I was staying up late to watch Adult Swim, <laughs> and I really got to catch some of the, uh, the more mature uh, shows and so I think it's just m- one of my first exposures to, I guess, more mature storytelling yeah. in-, in a manner that was still a-, a child could watch it and not be like scarred by by like maybe the violence or some of the themes that are being involved in those stories. It finds a way to make these mature themes very palatable for uh, a younger audience yeah. and then still expands into where uh, an older audience can have a real appreciation for some of the things that you might miss as you're uh, a younger viewer. That's what I really like about anime films because they tackle really intense themes and they tackle really intense situations and predicaments for characters. And it's something that um, Western animation, yes, Pixar touches on some heavy themes, but not too extreme, not too adult. They're still very much kid and family friendly, but some of these anime movies are really intense and it does make it more palatable for young people to watch them because it's not as graphic because it's animated. So I really appreciate that about anime films. And we're, we're similar where we we got into Pokemon and Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z. We would watch we're that after school. huge into Pokemon and Dragon yeah. Ball Z. But we never really got into anime, the mature films. And um, it's something that a lot of our fans have been asking us to do more content on. So we're, we're in the process of delving into that genre, the more mature storytelling. And I, I really think that these films really show how 
much potential there is to animation with storytelling, not just with the visuals, but the the darker themes and more adult tones that you can put into these movies. Yeah, plus the influence that a lot of these films have still on cinema today. You know, every time we've done a video or episode on like Inception, people are like, oh, it's just like Paprika and then with uh, Black Swan and Perfect Blue. And then you can still even see like nods to like A Requiem for a Dream. Even Ex Machina reminds me so much of like the ghost in the shell and films like that so in the matrix the, too. yeah exactly yeah. the impact that these films still have on cinema today and like you can tell like also past films having an influence on anime in terms of like blade runner a lot of anime films kind of like have the same aesthetic as blade runner in that, a way that must be because of the endless potential animation has where you can create anything with your animation in the 80s and 90s technology for uh, live action filmmaking wasn't there that you could only do so much yeah. for now you can do anything with cgi but i think that anim anime had the freedom to do whatever they want creatively so yeah, that's probably yeah. why they like had, I, were so influential visually i care it looks so much like blade runner it's beautiful i love the animation but before we continue the best way to support raiders of the lost podcast is to share us with your friends and family and become a patron at patreon.com slash raiders of the lost podcast podcast patrons get perks like personalized videos podcast schedules so you can see what episodes are coming up top tier patrons get a monthly shout out on the the podcast but the best perk of all is every single patron whether you're a two dollar five dollar ten dollar tier patron you have access to our weekly bonus episodes which air every tuesday on patreon only you can watch these episodes head on over to our website raiders of the lost podcast check out all of our sources of content our merch our movie posters follow subscribe hit the notification bell wherever you're listening if you're watching on youtube leave a comment and like and let's let's thank you so much for listening around the world everybody but let's let's get into anime so what is anime? And it's hand-drawn computer animation originating in Japan. So basically the rules of anime in Japan, any animation is considered anime, but outside of Japan, animation is uh, from Japan is called anime, correct? Jacob, you're like the expert, yeah. Yes. Yeah. This, uh, yeah, basically anything that is produced in Japan is anime. It is just the name for animation mm -hmm. uh, out, out of there. So... That's where the sort of the line gets drawn if things are uh, Japanese animation inspired, if some might consider that anime, but uh, uh, the firm definition is animation that is sourced from Japan. Gotcha. It's like tequila. Yeah. It has to be sourced from the in a certain place. That's right. And yeah. so anime comes in two formats, dubbed and subbed. And sub subbed plays the original Japanese vocal track for the show or movie with subtitles for whatever language you're from, you're a speaker in. And then dubbed is the English speaking or whatever country you're from cast voiceover actors talking over the characters, which I'm not a huge fan of. We've always preferred subtitles in any film. Well, the, for anime, I actually prefer the English dub because I hate English dubs for live action because when you have actors dubbing over real people, it takes away from the acting of the actors in, on screen. But for anime, since it's a cartoon, it's an animation, It does you, you're not seeing that same emotion, the same enunciation. Mm -hmm. So I think that you can kind of get away with the English dubbing for animes and having it match the what the image is. Yeah, I think it's just gotten better in the last couple of decades, the voiceover work, so that's probably why. But I think yeah. the voiceover work in like the 80s wasn't as, as good. Which do you prefer, Jacob? I'm actually, I'm pretty even on most of this. I've, I've basically, I grew up watching dub, and then I, I ended up picking sub once Toonami went off the air originally. But I've really just found I'm pretty even on it. It's it's more of the it's a case by case basis from my experience. It's very much, I guess, related to how grounded the performances are. As many English dubs uh, have a what they call a stereotypical anime sound, where the a lot of the voice actors have a direction where it's more of 
they're trying to replicate some of the intonation and quirks of Japanese language that really doesn't exist in English. And so it makes it sort of awkward for a lot of these uh, localizations to happen. But there's other times where it's usually on anime that are not based in Japanese culture, where they can give a much more grounded performance as it's it's a huge, uh, I guess, fusion of cultures on a lot of the uh, animation and just overall storytelling. So it allows them to really, I guess, excel in, in the dub. And that's typically where you find people have complimented these dubs, where it's uh, like Cowboy Bebop, which is very famous for being heavily Western inspired. And so the English translation, even though it's from the 90s, is like very good, even by today's standards. And at the same time, there's a lot of times where that is that sort of some of the quirks of the stories are lost when in translation. So there's a lot of times where you need to watch it in Japanese with your subtitles, or you're going to lose a lot of that, uh, I guess, the clever writing that you find in there, specifically JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, which is a very popular show right now. It is so heavily, I guess, based in Western culture, but at the same time, a lot of the comedic writing and a lot of the dialogue is very much dependent on it being in Japanese because there's moments where characters are speaking the language of the country they're from, even though the story is in Japanese. And so a lot of comedic moments come from where you're watching it, it's completely in Japanese, and then just randomly a character will start speaking a, another language in a in, in a uh, in a very, I guess, comedic way. And it honestly really adds to the story and the dialogue. And that's sometimes lost depending on the the various, uh, I guess, products that are being made in anime. Yeah, the cultural shift and cultural mm -hmm. differences can really uh, pay, a, pay a difference in that, I guess. That yeah. makes sense. And so the history of anime can actually be traced back to the start of the 20th century, the earliest verifiable films dating from 1907. And then propaganda films uh, during World War II were, became very popular, like Momotoro and, Umi, and No Umiwashi. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Sorry for pronunciations, guys. I'm terrible at it. <laughs> You're and, from Boston. And then during the 1970s, anime began to develop further, and it kind of exploded in the 1980s with Gundam Across, Dragon Ball, and then Akira set records in 1988 for production costs of anime. We've talked about it a little bit on the podcast before. And then 2004, Steam Boy, Spirit Away was the first prize at the 2002 Berlin Film Festival and won the 2003 Academy Award for Best Feature, which I think was the first non-English 
speaking animated film to win that win that award first anime film animated yeah. not no just not English oh, speaking just animated in film in wow. general and then innocence ghost in the shell is featured at 2004 Cannes film festival so i think it just started to get so much more acclaim worldwide and internationally and anime in general yeah so let's let's start want to get into the movie yeah let's, let's start with uh spirited away which came out in 2001 by hayo miyazaki who is considered the master of animation this film follows a young girl whose family is moving to the suburbs as she wanders into an underworld ruled by gods, witches, spirits, where humans can ch be changed into beasts. This is a top-rated movie at IMDb at number one hundred, number 27, and it was formerly the highest-grossing film in Japanese history, but that just got passed recently, I believe. This movie is extremely creative, mm -hmm. and it's a movie that can show you the potential of anime. And Chihiro is such a great character, and you have, like, No Face and Yabuba, and I think that the the balancing the creativity of the characters in the world that he built along with the uh, strong themes of like capitalism and in the workforce really showed an enduring story and was a really really fascinating film yeah it's it's really beautiful the the attention to detail is incredible and I, I misspoke it's the first hand-drawn non-english speaking film to win best animated feature at the academy awards thank you and yeah it, it almost looks 3d because that's how detailed the animation is the the attention to every little description of the characters faces and wardrobe and just the diverse range of characters there's so many things like you'd never see before in, anim in animation really like the eight armed man and and just all these wild monsters and it seems like the, the creation the creativity was just exploded and they kind of went with whatever they thought of mm -hmm. what do you think jacob yeah so this movie is uh, i think very influential in the fact that it has brought a i guess a much more palatable experience for i guess childlike wonder in, in anime because anime has typically been at least prior to this a, a much more uh focused on a uh young boy audience which is uh, so that type of uh writing is based on shonen manga so a lot of anime prior to this were obviously very geared towards uh i guess much more uh masculine uh audience where it's uh, i guess everything's a lot more violence based like but video with, games uh, spirited away yeah on video games uh, but with Spirited Away, which is, uh, I guess, a much closer, uh, I guess, attraction towards the female audience as this was originally written for 10-year-old girls. Uh, Hayao Miyazaki actually had based Jihiro from uh, one of the associate producer's daughters who would come visit him at his uh, house in the summers. And so he very much intended for this to be for 10-year-old girls as he had never intended for that audience in any of his prior works. And so I think that really shows with the childlike wonder that you kind of ex experience from this because the film sort of really takes an approach to where kids can really be drawn in by it, but it also, I guess, portrays artisanship in the fact that there's a lot of criticisms on uh, modern day society that you see with the uh, interactions with the spirits within the film and then just the general, I guess inspiration from uh shinto and buddhist folklore as many of these creatures and beings actually exist uh within the folklore of japan and i think that's just really how it really gathered its audience through really pulling from real life elements and then providing a, a landscape to which not only adults can appreciate it but children can really be absorbed into the story of 
a someone their age being thrust into a world that they've only like heard about or dreamed about. It's it's the closest thing I've seen to Pan's Labyrinth, yeah. Guillermo's film, where you have the childlike wonderment with this fantastical story that it also has some graphic nature and some violence and some heavy themes. And this movie is so creative, like you said, with um, the spirits in terms of like those workforce spirits on the train who they don't have they have blacked out faces but you can see like their their uni- their, their outfits and their hats showing that like they've kind of lost their identity and be- become blended into the the crowd of the workforce they've lost their name yeah just just like blended into s- becoming nothing and losing their independence because they just work this work this job day in day out and it definitely has a lot of reflections to to definitely modern society for yeah. sure and strong themes of especially i think greed is probably the biggest theme in the film it's up there in terms of like the parents greedily consuming all that food while they're that at that abandoned amusement park and they get turned into pigs and then in terms of greed with the gold later on with no face and the spirits and so it's really strong thematic elements for kids to kind of and, and adults to really resonate with and also what's so interesting about this Miyazaki he didn't have a finished script for this movie and he basically he talks about how in interviews that he develops the stories as he's drawing the storyboards and he says that the film makes itself and he's just like the vehicle for that to happen which is such an interesting take for a storyteller it's, it's a great way to write stories because you you basically he probably comes up with set pieces in imagery and then you get to write the story around that. It's kind of like Tom Cruise coming up with like, I'm going to do this amazing five stunts and you guys are going to write a story around those stunts. <laughs> but um, yeah, he often actually has um, underdeveloped scripts and pitches, which is uh, something that I have in my notes about Akira or not Akira, sorry, um, Grave of the Fireflies as that is a Ghibli movie, but it's not made by Hayao Miyazaki. It was but it was released together with uh, my neighbor Totoro because Totoro actually was a failed pitch to Ghibli by him, and the only reason it even got made was because he was able to hip pocket it with Grave of the Fireflies. And so it's a repeating, I guess, pattern of him having a sort of incomplete pitch or idea of what his film's going to be before it even starts getting made. So that was a double feature? Uh, yes, oh, wow. it was a double feature. Oh, very cool. Incredible. And so Grave of the Fireflies was actually a complete commercial failure, and My Neighbor Totoro saved the film from being like, a completely uh, like uh, complete box office bomb. Mm-hmm. The uh, uh, Ghibli ended up make, making so much money off of Totoro that the failure of Grave of the Fireflies was nothing to them. It's too, that's crazy because Grave of the Fireflies is an incredible film, but Totoro is so fun. And I think it's just like I have friends that have like Totoro stuffed animals. They just <laughs> love the character and the movie in general. And what I also love about Spirited Away is it's it's different than Western film where rather than being completely centralized upon a plot it's really just mostly focused on characters and their developments and how there's kind of like so much mystery and vagueness to the characters where you don't really know who the protagonists fully are you don't know who the villains fully are is is haku the villain is he a protagonist he kind of like becomes like a negative character towards the end of the film versus all the other workers they're they're sort of mean to her at first but then they start to be more warm and welcoming of her as the film goes on they all sort of grow in different ways but it's all focused on character this movie yeah I, you could say that you booba is the is the villain of the of the film yeah but she still does kind of treat her not horribly at the end of the film she but she does try to trick her by yeah. saying can you pick your parents out of the pen of pigs but she's very clever and she's yeah. able to figure it out yeah. you know but she's a very good villain so she but you could just argue that she's just that's her job she's running this bathhouse so she has to be kind of like a, a hard yeah she's, yeah she's strict you she's know jeff bezos she's very very villainous you know but i wouldn't say she's a hardcore antagonist fully she's part of the system yeah exactly it's all yeah. part of the system and yeah. and she becomes part of the system and it's about getting out of it and also like every any good story 
generally for the most part your character needs to go through great transformation and Shihiro goes through an immense transformation because she becomes this spoiled brat she starts out as a spoiled brat complaining to her parents constantly never happy with what they wanted to do and she like reluctantly followed them into the abandoned amusement park and then she becomes a very strong character by the end of the film very mature and completely changed by the end and so it's a great way if you can have your character make a complete transformation, resurrect into a better character or even a different character, that's strong storytelling. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. Yeah. And also her transformation, it comes internally. It's not like outside forces influence that, but what? But her change was always inside of her. She was always able to bring that out. She just needed the correct circumstances to become a better person and, and kind of make those changes, you know? So it's that's what Choices. I think makes it more powerful. Is yeah. It was always inside of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, she's refusing the gold from no face, so she always had the potential of being a good... She always had that goodness inside. Yeah, and then he starts eating people. Yeah, then he just goes to town. <laughs> but um, for also, sure. uh, I find... Oh, sorry. No, go for it. Just keep on cutting in, man. Okay. Go for it. Yeah, the uh, with, with the, uh, I guess, extension of uh, Yubaba being the villain, a, a big point of this was that Hayao Miyazaki was very much trying to, I guess, replicate the, the traditionalism that is sort of being lost within modern day Japan as a lot of these uh, folklore creatures are being less and less, I guess, believed in by the uh, by, by Japanese people. And so this was sort of a, a, a reference to his his grandparents when he was as they were very traditionalist people. And with this, uh, he did not want to depict any of these characters as necessarily villains, but more of epitomizing various traits that we're seeing in the modern day world and what's occurring because of that. So when the deities and the various beings see Chihiro, they view her with disgust as humans have sort of transformed uh, modern day Japan into something that's unrecognizable to when they really were believed in and worshipped during, I guess, the uh, heyday of, uh, of of Shintoism and Buddhism being all over Japan. Yeah, they worship technology now. Which, exactly. Yeah. So technology has become so prevalent and it's sort of really driven a divide between the spiritualistic side of Japan, which is still very much present in the older generations, and a much more technology-driven of the uh, modern generation. And I find that uh, while Yubaba is a bit more villainous in her actions, there's still some level of, I guess, reflection on the qualities of these creatures, as Miyazaki actually talks about how none of these creatures are really meant to be evil in any manner but rather that the difference between a god and uh, one of these deities or these demons is is very a, a very thin line between what you could see as malice versus a uh, I guess higher level of uh, of vision for actions so a lot of these creatures take actions that may not in the moment seem to be I guess of good nature but in the end, it's because their vision of good and evil is very much different than the human standard for it as they sort of see the landscape and the world as a whole as uh, and, and the influences on that as good and evil versus just the immediate outcome or feelings of others when you're in these interactions. That's a great point. You could, I love the culture shift that you brought up in terms of like it probably happened in that 1980s boom in Japan where it's like post-World War II and they, they just went full on like kind of Western capitalist society in a way. So they lost a lot of those traditions. And, yeah, they got rid of the communism. Uh, so that's probably yeah. very reflective of the ca of the spirits in the film as well. Yeah, very deep. And so, yeah, I think in general, this film is beautiful. The music is phenomenal by Joe Hayasashi. It's 
sensational film in general and again strong themes about greed work as a trap and like getting trying to get out of a system that we're all kind of living in you know that we're all kind of forced to you know be a part of yeah which is you know terrible but pros and cons yeah great film let's move on to akira is this how do you pronounce this is it akira akira <laughs> Uh, Akira. 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 So everyone, if you, Akira, everyone listening, yeah. James and I, we're still new to the genre, so sorry for any mispronunciation. <laughs> yeah, we've seen these movies, but years ago, so yeah, and also I'm just, we're just from Boston, we pronounce yeah. everything wrong yeah. by accident anyways, but this came out in 1988, it was directed by Katsuhiro Otomo, and it's about a secret military project which endangers Neo-Tokyo when it turns a biker gang member into a rampaging psychic psychopath who can only be stopped by a teenager, his gang of biker friends, and a group of psychics. And this movie is really freaking cool. Like I said, this gives me big time Blade Runner vibes in terms of like this Neo-Tokyo aesthetic, which happened, which the film takes place after another world war, yeah, world war three, three. another atomic bomb that hit Tokyo. And so just the, it's such an interesting look to this film. It's a great blend of sci-fi as well with the dystopian-esque quality to mm -hmm. it. And you can see how much influence it has on films that followed it in terms of the, the style, in terms of the action and the themes, and also in terms of like the powers like um, the, that Tetsuo gets, the, the telekinesis. And it that, reminds me so much of that movie Chronicle. Yeah, like a lot like Chronicle, and, and that the three kids have. And mm -hmm. it, it has a lot of elements. It has like the horror elements where he has that, when the kids attack him and there's like the, those crazy like hallucinatory things they, they create. So there's a lot going on in this film and it moves like rapid fire fast. Like mm -hmm. this movie, you, you gotta pay attention to it because it, the scenes are so, they, it, the plot carries out so quickly. So you gotta really pay attention to it and you can't take your eyes off of it. But once it gets going, you're full tilt into the, into the story. Mm -hmm. What do you think about Jacob? Uh, for sure. I find the Blade Runner analogy is very accurate. A lot of people have found that and there's, it's not just sort of the aesthetic, but actually a lot of the story elements are very much a, a parallel to Blade Runner. Um, they're both taking place in 2019 and uh, in a neon-filled dystopian version of one of the biggest cities in their countries. They have a corrupt corporation that is running the city and have outcast members of society who are blamed for the previous destruction that they've seen with the replicants being cause for war in the past and now being outlawed. And then in... Akira, the uh, espers or the psychic children, uh, specifically Akira, was the cause of the uh, one of the previous destruction that or destructions of Neo Tokyo, and so these children are not allowed to be in the public or in the public eye for just for various reasons, and and they're arguably the I'd say the two most definitive movies for the cyberpunk genre. Everything after that that's been cyberpunk has really pulled inspiration from one of these two movies in some way, shape, or form. They really just shape the overall aesthetic and the genre as a whole. And um, they also, which is something pretty interesting, is that they're both receiving revivals as they had Blade Runner 2049, which came out in 2017. But there's actually a live action adaptation for Acura coming out. And it's going to be directed by Taika Waititi. Oh, that's and he right. Agreed to do that about after, that. Yeah, he's doing that after he finishes Thor Love and Thunder. So uh, I'm... I'm interested to see in how he takes this film, as a lot of his previous works have been much more comedic, and Akira is very much lacking in the comedy side of things outside of Kaneda's character. And so I find that this is going to be a very interesting adaptation that I'm hoping is very well done. But it, there's a lot of uh, parallels between the movies just when it was originally created and even the influences now. It's a tough it's a tough movie to make live action. That's That'll be a difficult thing to do. And But it, I, you can definitely see... It, I think Minority Report 
draw, drew a lot of inspiration from this as well. Whereas the precogs, you can say, were inspired by the the children in this movie for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, and obviously like Stranger Things yeah. and films like that. And so basically what happens is Tatsuo, who's part of this biker gang, he crashes into one of those Nespers who has been uh, tested on by the government and he gets these crazy superpowers and he basically becomes, you could say he's a villain, but I don't really fully see him as a villain because in a way he's basically like in a rampage against the system of the corrupt system of, that's going on in the city in Tokyo. So it's kind of like that adolescence resistance to authority and angst, but it's just dialed up to a crazy number where he has these crazy powers and he's taking it out on everyone else. And also, he, he it gets to the point where he can't control them and they're out of his control. And he eventually, you could say he's evolving into a, a fifth dimensional being mm-hmm. by the end of the film. So I think that he's losing his uh, relationship to this world. And there's that episode in South Park. That the Trapper ha- Keeper. Yeah, Trapper Keeper. That's yeah. definitely a yeah, reference yeah, to 100%. Acker, 100% at the end of that movie. That episode is ridiculous where Cartman turns into the giant being that's just yeah, yeah. consuming everything Trapper around Keeper him. 2000. But also so. I think a really important theme of this film are the references to the atomic bomb in World War II. And it's almost impossible for Americans and Westerners to understand the atomic bomb from the perspective of, of Japan and Japanese people. So I think this film is a really great way to show that. And obviously that's a really uh, heavy theme in a lot of anime films and not just this one. Oh yeah, it's a major part of their history. So it shapes storytelling for sure. Mm-hmm. It's, it, a lot of cultures when in their storytelling, it's shaped by the history of their culture. So you can't, there are very few things that have a bigger impact than the atomic bomb throughout their entire several thousand year history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. This film has just been, I guess, uh, such a huge part of Japanese culture since it was released. And um, I have a bunch of notes on this. I actually want to cover all these while I still can. Let's go. This film it was a huge success. It was the original budget was $5.5 million, which to, by today's standards, it's about $12.6 million, And it was the largest budget for basically any anime movie at that point in time until it was overtaken the next year by uh, a Ghibli release. And then it earned $49 million at the box office, which translates to about $113 million today. So that means uh, it beats out movies like The Social Network, Edge of Tomorrow, and Nacho Libre in terms of total box office revenue. And also, I think, the, the sheer factor of, uh, of return from budget to box office. And a lot of people consider this to be one of the greatest sci-fi films, the greatest animated films of all time. It just has a lot of influences on uh, many of today's artists and, and various mediums. Uh, so Kanye West frequently uh, references it as one of his biggest creative inspirations. And the music video for Stronger actually has a lot of shot recreations from Acura. And uh, he often refers to it and has a lot of uh, apparel that is from uh, Acura. And then oh my the rapper God, Lupe Fiasco. Yeah, it looks like he's in this yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Lupe Fiasco has actually named his album Tetsuo and Youth after Tetsuo Shima. So, so yeah, the film is very interesting in the fact that they don't really have a main character. It's more of an ensemble cast that really lets you bounce between all these characters and doesn't necessarily define a villain as the colonel is not really villainous as he does have good intent with his actions, but in the end, he does take some more authoritarian and, and militaristic uh, steps that may lead to more villainous uh, outcome. And then with Tetsuo, uh, you could say that once he really realizes his powers, he becomes a villain. But I think it's much more a reflection of his character as he very much was the the runt of of his friend group and often often was a butt of the jokes or was the one targeted uh, in, in bullying and fights. So for him to finally, I guess, realize that it's really 
over a decade of uh, of constant torture finally being able to i guess reverse it reverse the roles where he's now on top and no one can really i guess uh, challenge him in that manner i think that's more of the ch- the child in him cuz he they didn't have parents growing up they had a very hard way of maturing so i think that was more of a, a lack of uh i guess a strong upbringing that really led to him sort of having a backlash from that just yeah. like chronicle yeah so yeah and could you yeah. say he's truly it's a so villain going further f- oh, i'm sorry yeah Oh no, you're fine. Yeah, and could could you say he's truly a villain when the system is what created him? You know, it's because of the system that's how he is. So it's it's hard to say that he's just a full on villain. You know, even though at the end, pretty nightmarish what he becomes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So something very interesting about this movie and the production is that most anime is drawn on twos, or it is the drawing is held for two frames and then gone on, then it moves on to the next drawing. So it's actually twelve frames per second rather than the twenty four you see in most movies. But in Acura, they did animate it on ones, which is unheard of today. And especially back then, the so it was 24 frames per second. So it doubled the drawings that they would have to use for the movie, which is why it, even for it being an older film, it's so smooth. And just a lot of the animation holds up to this day is that there is so many drawings. It was about 160,000 drawings used for uh, the film. And it's just such a interesting concept as 24 frames per second is a standard in cinema just as it's sort of a sweet spot for motion blur that accurately captures what the human eye sees Mm -hmm. while still making it a smooth motion and this is just a very weird uh i guess uh attempt to i guess modernize this film in a way that uh just wasn't done before modernized animation really yeah, it really does hold up to this day because of these uh, this bigger budget that it had. And uh, using this bigger budget, they really found their ways to really optimize things to future-proof the movie. Uh, another thing that I thought was fantastic was the light effects in this. Uh, a lot of neon in a movie where in the early age of, I guess, modern animation where we didn't have computers to, in, in a manner that could just easily add, like go into Photoshop and just add like a, a gradient that like will a make something effect. bright. Yeah, so the glow effects in this movie were actually done by hand because CGI was still extremely expensive in the 80s. And especially for a was even then was considered a low budget film compared by compared to, I guess, the standard in the U.S. What they actually did was they would have a basically the source object of the light. So like on the motorcycles, what they would do is they would paint it a certain color. And then when it came to the light trails from the back of the bikes, they would actually paint those trails by hand from there and do it for each frame. And then afterwards, they would go onto the light table they used to shoot the film into the camera and actually would cut out the holes of the source. So the light would basically shoot through and bloom out onto the film and create that bloom and glow effect that you wouldn't be able to get without a computer otherwise. Oh, that's incredible. That's how they so did they, Tron. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, the first yeah so uh, they took a lot of inspiration from that. And it was it paid off really well because... Th- it honestly was one of the, uh, I guess, more monumental techniques they used uh, when making the film. Yeah, yeah that's going to be why the uh, film th- is so regarded as one of the best ever because of how it changed the look of anime. It's probably comparable to, like, if you were in that year going to see that in terms of what you'd seen before, then it's like going to see Star Wars. You've never seen anything like that before, just yeah. how mind-blowing it was. We're going to see Blade Runner for yeah, the first time. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. And uh, something interesting about this is it was one of the first movies that had a double english localization so it was originally localized like right after release in the u.s by a 
different company, but I think it was Streamline Pictures, and that was uh, done in 1989, released in 1990, and it had a lot of very famous voice actors on it, uh, uh, most notably Cam Clark, who was the voice of Leonardo from the original Ninja Turtle show oh, no as Kanada. <laughs> And so it was pretty interesting. And then, uh, weirdly enough, another uh, in the in the second release, which is two thousand one, they had a really actually big name uh, for the movie. It was Kanada was played by Johnny Young Bosch, who was Adam, the second Black Power Ranger from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, who has actually gone on to be one of the, like the biggest voice actors in anime today. Oh no way! Uh, he's uh, he's currently he's the current voice for Broly in Dragon Ball. He plays. Uh, Sabo, the brother of the main, uh, the protagonist in One Piece, and the main character in Bleach, uh, Ichigo, which is actually making a comeback uh, at the end of this year or beginning of next year. And so this movie has a- actually just a star-studded cast in terms of uh, uh, both both of the dubs. And and but the thing is, that's very interesting about them is I think both watching both of them is really worthwhile in the fact that. They adapt the film in very different ways. Mm-hmm. The uh, original one from 1989 actually has a much, a lot more campy uh, approach to the direction and the uh, general dialogue that was that was not present in the original film. And I, I find it, I guess, very interesting to see how they interpreted the film because it very much changes how you, I guess, uh, I guess, perceive some of the characters. Because it's so campy, you you can very much tell it was made in a time where cartoons weren't really uh, gritty and that uh, sort of darker storytelling hadn't really made it to the U.S. yet, at least in the animated form. While then in the 2001 version, we have now, I guess, fully entered that stage of storytelling for the U.S. And so a lot of these actors have been working in these much more grittier and more violent adaptations. And I think it's very interesting to see a dichotomy between the two i guess times between campy voice acting and much more grounded and and realistic stuff you see today yeah so i think this is the coolest movie on the list i really like the aesthetic and everything about it and it's just a really wild film and when you compare it to western animation where we're seeing disney princesses and aladdin and stuff so it's quite the contrast all right yeah and so let's before we continue uh many anime films deal with growing from adolescence to adulthood and if you want to impress your crush then you need to get your hands on the manscaped lawnmower 4.0 trimmer head on over to manscaped.com and get the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer using our coupon code raiders of the lost for 20 percent off and free shipping this brand new groomer is waterproof skin safe has a 7,000 rpm motor which is very fast has a wireless charger built-in light you can use this thing in the dark if you want it's amazing fellas you gotta get to manscape get their products everyone listening if you don't know what to get the man in your life for like a birthday gift anniversary just a hey can you take this hint and use this product please because you're disgusting you need to clean up trust manscape they, it's the products that guys would actually enjoy and use. So use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout from Manscaped.com. Get twenty percent off and free shipping worldwide. Wide, wide. All right, let's do one more movie and then we'll get into our intermission. How's that sound, guys? Sounds fantastic. So let's do Ghost right, in the Shell. Ghost in the Shell next. This was released in nineteen ninety six, directed by Mamoru Oshii. A cyborg policewoman and her partner hunt a mysterious and powerful hacker called the Puppet Man. The Puppet Master. And this movie is really trippy and cool. It's got some of the most detailed animation that you'll ever see. And again, it's it's relevance today. It reminds me so much of like a film called Ex Machina, which we've talked about before. And obviously they did the Scarlett Johansson live action remake of this film, which I don't think was that great. Yeah, this movie is really fantastic and it's visually stunning. It, you really see 
hand-drawn animation. I think this could be the most stunning hand-drawn animation ever done in terms of the world they built, the sets that they designed, in terms of so so many of the action sequences. And it really is so cinematic in its scale and its scope. And Motoko is a fantastic character, just like um, Ex Machina, where she's questioning the idea of the soul, the idea of her existence, and the, generally what defines uh, a soul, what defines humanity. And so it has very heavy, intense themes, uh, very thought-provoking in nature, mixed with this amazing blend of sci-fi and action and mystery. So I think it's a, it's a home run in terms of storytelling. Yeah, Jacob, how do you feel about this movie? I love Ghost in the Shell. It's so... Uh, I actually did not watch the original movie until until we got this set up. I had originally watched the series that was uh, an adaptation from the mid-2000s, which was made by the, the same production team and has a lot of the uh, same people on the project for writing, animating, and for voicing. So it's, I, I guess this very much reminded me of that series as uh, the... It was just such a, a, an amazing story, and I, I love the phil- philosophical themes it really brings up. As that's what I really appreciate in these stories. While uh, I guess the, the the character dialogue and entertainment you might get from a lot of the modern films of today are great. I, I really want to be, I guess, challenged philosophically about and really consider what it means to like to be human, and that and this really much like puts that at the forefront of the uh, discussion between the characters. And sort of the conflict with uh, with the major uh, as the protagonist. I think that's what makes the new Blade Runner film twenty forty nine so strong because it has the same ideas as Ghost in the Shell and obviously the first Blade Runner, but really understanding like questioning the idea of humanity, questioning the idea of just just because you're made artificially, if you can think, does that make you? of being does that make you like just like a human being to have a soul to have a what is the definition of having a mind and also is the mind even connected with the body is the is your thought are your thoughts and is your soul part of your physical being or is it part of a metaphysical being that's not tangible that's more abstract and so this this movie really makes you think about those just like when i saw those two blade runner movies in the same way yeah it's set in this futuristic world where basically the entire population has some part of robotics integrated with their body elon, their mind. elon musk's dream yeah you can access networks and send your consciousness or your ghost through networks for whatever you want to do so again it, it's very similar to Blade Runner like we've been talking about. But I, what's really cool is like that part of the technology, which is going to happen eventually the At next couple point. of decades, is if you put tech in your brain and your mind, then it can, it has the potential to be hacked, which happens in this movie. Yeah, and so Matoko, she's completely cybernetic besides her soul or ghost. So she was a human being, but her soul is now completely inside of a cybernetic being. So is she human? She's very similar to, you could say, Rachel from the original Blade Runner, where Rachel in that movie doesn't know she's a, obviously, spoiler alert, <laughs> it's warning. 50 years old. See, it's old movie. She doesn't know she's a replicant yet. It's not until later on that she discovers that. So Matoko is kind of like, I was human, but am I still human now? And as she's like going through the story and the puppet master wants to merge beings with her and consciousness is with her, will that make her more human? Will it make her more of a machine? Will it make her something else and supersede all that? And also the difference between human to machine is it irrelevant at this point of technology is there a difference between having an ai versus a human soul and like in terms of because ghosts can be hacked they can be reprogrammed you can forget your memories and stuff like that and what challenges that is that the technology is so advanced where they when they create um a a the cy- uh, a cyborg, you could say, the brain, the artificial brain is designed to completely be replicated and 
just like a human brain. So if the artificial brain is identical to a human brain, what, isn't that the same thing? Exactly. So is isn't there, the mind of an artificial being the same thing as the mind of a human and being? And is there a difference? And that's what K goes through in Blade Runner 2049 because he knows he's a re replicant, but he feels like he's human because he has these memories of a childhood, which he didn't think he ever had. So he goes through kind of a lot of what Rachel went through a little bit. In the also, garbage, man. Yeah, and so, but similar to Matoko, but uh, Matoko is kind of in the opposite direction of mm -hmm. because again, she's a human soul inside of a completely cybernetic organism. Yeah. Yeah, I find this film to be just honestly just awe inspiring. I uh, the just the overall storytelling was has been fantastic, and uh, especially the animation side of things was also a uh, a, a huge leap forward. This film is also considered generally after Akira to be the next, I guess, m most influential anime as it was a huge inspiration for the Wachowskis making The Matrix. 100%. And uh, James Cameron is actually quoted as calling it the first truly adult animation film to reach a level of literary and visual excellence. He is a huge fan of the film and actually in The Matrix, the green uh, text or the digital rain, as some people call it, is actually pulled straight from Ghost in the Shell. As Ghost in the Shell, the intro scene has this uh, shown off as a intro sequence, which is used through using basically code that took the production team's names and turned it into random characters and uh, shot it through. So it has quite literally direct, I guess, influence on some of the biggest films of the 21st century. And also Motelko can plug into the net via the holes in the back of it's her neck. It's just like the Matrix yeah. when Neo gets plugged in the first time, how like it exactly. all just disappears, then he gets sucked in and he like wakes up in the in the Matrix. It's crazy. Yeah. So if you like the Matrix, you yep. like this movie. I also love the concept of Matoko versus Bato because Bato is just like her, where he's like a cybernetic being, but he sees her as a human being still, even though she doesn't see herself as a human being anymore. Like like in for example, like when she's constantly displaying her nudity, she doesn't even notice that she's nude really. She doesn't even care about being nude in front of other people. But Bato Bato always treats her like respectfully and always like looks away when she's nude, even though he's kind of in the same situation. He's holding on to humanity yeah. while she's kind of running away from humanity. Mm -hmm. her, the, her, the idea of her own humanity. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Yeah, I find Bato's character very interesting. He was one of my favorite characters from the show. Something that's actually different about Bato, he does not have a completely cybernetic body like uh, the Major does. His body has cybernetic implants and things have been swapped out, but a part, part of his body is still human. If you, uh, When you see at the very end when he loses his arm, he still has uh, muscle, tissue, and all that. It's not robotic. Oh, yeah, when it gets blown nature, off. So. Yeah. Yeah, so he's had parts of his body replaced, but he's not f uh, fully cybernetic like uh, Matoko is. But what's cool about and the cybernetic that... designs is like they have like artificial muscle tissue, and it that's it's not like a robot. It's like actually like a, a real thing that's like it's artificial, but it's it's like feels like it's Biological. made of bio like biology, like on a cellular level. Yeah, I think I think that's really been done to really, I guess, interface with the brains because the brains are supposed to be a perfect replica of the human brain. So I believe that what comes down to the brain is knows to uh, communicate to those specific parts of the body. So replicating those would be necessary for that sort of environment to exist. Yeah, yeah. So like a Terminator. So yeah. The, the the movie was, yeah, the movie was heavily praised for its scientific accuracy, for uh, some of the concepts they've implemented were. If they were to be implemented in real life in a feasible manner, it pretty much follows the philosophy you need to follow to really, I guess, integrate that. 
uh, with like the cybernetic bodies. Yeah, because basically that's what AI is. AI is humans' perception of what a brain would be like. You know, that's why human beings and their inner artificial intelligence is probably completely different if you believe in aliens and what their artificial intelligence and programs would be like. I would argue, I would argue that's correct because I think a true AI, a true AI would eventually create itself. And that's evolve what will, itself. Yeah, where there's yeah. human beings who can come as close as they can to creating a, a real mind, but it would take the the artificial being it's to create itself to write that code to evolve to become its own a true ai and then we become the bottom of the food chain yeah, then it's basically. all over <laughs> for sure yeah this movie has just some of the uh best animation i've seen in a, in a long time and it's something that you can actually uh, going through a rewatch you can really actually pinpoint some of the techniques they used they used a combination of traditional cell animation and cgi if you don't know, cell animation is basically what all animation was done prior to computers. It was basically celluloid paper, which is transparent. They will paint the uh, whatever elements of the background and foreground they need, and they will basically paint those and draw those onto those celluloid pages and then layer them together and then we'll take a picture of them to splice all the frames together for the final product. And then they animate the and character so on what, top of it, right? Yeah, so yeah. it's it's all just basically a background page would be the uh, the background painted f uh, fully done, and then each element that may be a moving element within that uh, within that sequence is going to be a separate page as they uh, move. So each uh, basically each character is their own uh, layer sheet for celluloid paper. That's why and it's so like you watch an old Disney movie. The background is extremely detailed and it looks really like a lot of work went into it, whereas the characters are generally very simply animated with very little detail. Exactly. Yeah. The backgrounds are typically much larger portraits or um, illustrations so they can use basically use the same uh, celluloid and move that around as needed. So a lot of the times some techniques have been making just a really long sheet of paper and basically have just a looping image. So when they're like doing those rotating shots, they, the way they do that is just basically having a looping image with that. They just move the paper over, which I thought is an awesome technique. But the uh, interesting part is when they include CGI for this as the a lot of the, I guess, the lens effects that you see as even with cell, uh, celluloid paper, a lot of this, all of these shots, a lot of these shots are not really feasible in the traditional sense of, oh, if I just maybe blur out my drawing a bit more, if I just make it a little bit uh, fuzzy with, with, the, with the brush strokes, it'll make it look like it's a, there's some sort of a focal lens focusing on the character. Uh, instead, what they went for was a fully drawn shot and then would take it, use CGI to sort of create the effect of the film being shot on a lens and... Uh, creating a sort of separation between those foreground and uh, background elements that really sort of, uh, I guess, create a focus on the characters in the moment and really make it seem much more cinematic than a, a traditional animation would typically. Yeah, like it. they're shooting with a very long lens, which Pixar started doing about 10 years ago, whereas the, the first like several Pixar movies, everything is in focus and sharp on every shot whereas now you get to see it looks like they're using actual like cameras and lenses where you can have a blurry uh, background with a, a in focus character like a portrait so those elements are such cinematic qualities that they make the film seem sort of more cinematic which yeah. is a big difference they started that with ratatouille yeah and it basically they, they started yeah ratatouille they, they actually have it. cinematographers yeah. for pixar movies now and they, they actually have 
software that really literally they they have different lenses and different kinds of cameras that they just have software built into it where they just are able to automatically do it so the technology has evolved thanks to movies like this so much yeah yeah and this is this is a really great movie it's i'm not a huge fan of the live action version i, I think they kind of just missed it a little bit there and it's, it's a hard movie to adapt you know and, and t to keep it true to the original of, of the film well, i believe they used a lot of inspiration from the series that he's watched mm -hmm. like um the ge the the geisha sequence that's not even in ghost in the shell it's in the series yeah so they put that into that the live from action episode three i yeah. remember that yeah. very specifically so they they that's, used uh, that, that was a very iconic scene from the show yeah yeah but they used the whole franchise for inspiration for the movie rather than just this solo film yeah but if this movie is sensational if you love sci-fi if you love the matrix and blade runner and stuff like that i think everyone would really enjoy this movie i have a cool couple cool facts about it let's go so like we said ghost in the shell inspired many action scenes in the whole entire film of the matrix but there's also a rumor that Carrie Ann Moss was cast in the role of Trinity because she actually resembles Major Motoko. Oh, yeah, she does look yeah. like her. And also, even though this film enjoys a huge reputation in Western culture as being uh, a beloved film, in Japan it actually has uh, a, a lower rating for movie lovers there. So it has a lower rating in terms of fans in Japan than, they do in, than it does in Europe and uh, America. Interesting. All right, uh, you guys ready to move into the intermission? Let's go. All right, this, should, this sure. should be some fun. So we'll start off with our movie quote competition. Now, I have two, and okay. we'll see if you guys can get them. And so I'll say the quote and just give everyone who's listening a few seconds to see if they can guess it themselves as well, guys. So the first one is from a fan, Josh Chetney. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It has been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. The field, this game, it's part of our past, Ray. It reminds us all that once was good and could be good again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. <laughs> because of the baseball, that, what MLB just did? <laughs> I guess so. The field of Dreams. That's a good one. Yeah. Did you see what they did, though? What? Uh, the MLB. They actually did a Field of Dreams game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so I watched cool. the, the game winner. Yeah. By, uh, what was his name? Killed it. Destroyed yeah. that ball. Yeah. All right. Well, I got another one, too. This one's for me. It's okay. a little more difficult. Yeah, a landlord's dream. A paralyzed tenant with no tongue. <laughs> you guys get know this, Jacob. You know it. Oh, paralyzed tenant with no tongue. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I know. Landlord's I dream. Rear window, but I don't. I don't think it's. No, it's newer than that. It's seven. A paralyzed tenant yeah. with no tongue. Yeah, it was seven. seven. He paid his rent every every day. I got. He paid his rent. It's his favorite tenant of all time. No noise or anything. Yeah. <laughs> no complaints. <laughs> we gotta do that movie soon. That is an epic movie. All right, here's my quote. <clears throat> Whoa, wait a minute. Are you trying to tell me that my mother has got the hots for me? Is it from 17 again? Nah. Oh, no. That's that's the that's this daughter, yeah. Say it again? Yeah. Whoa, wait a minute. Are you trying to tell me that my mother has the hots for me? Is this like American oh, wait, Pie? You got it? What Back is it? Back the Future. Yep. Oh, Marty McFly. Future, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she thinks his name is Calvin Klein. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Guess this movie. Do you have a quote, here. Jacob? Oh yeah. Sorry. Oh, I don't. No worries. Uh, yeah, no worries. It's all good. We already did. I three. did not prepare one. Hey, don't worry. We already got three. I forgot to tell it's him. It's fine. Oh, no, yeah, Jimmy didn't do his job, yeah, so don't worry. I'm pretty bad fault. at my job, guys. <laughs> so guess this movie release year, the Animatrix. Um. Isn't it? It's got. It had. It came out. 2000, 2004? I'm going two thousand and three. Two thousand three is correct. Yes. Ding 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 ding. Close. 
right basically right after reloading. Jacob, I would have said 2004, but you already yeah. did. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like the, the Price is Right, five thousand and one. Yeah. <laughs> you bastard. Yeah, I I'm like, hey, when did the last Matrix come out? Okay, so it's either a year after or two years after. Yeah. yeah. So Reloader was 2003, right? Yeah, and then Revolutions was 04. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right, here's my movie release year. Mars Attacks. <laughs> Tim Burton made this, right? Yeah. Oh, man. Shit, that was my quiz question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm just too smart for you. Well, if you're so smart, get the year right. 1998, 96. <laughs> oh, sorry. I didn't let Jacob guess. No, my sorry, bad. No, you're fine. <laughs> I, I have habit. no clue. I'll just say 89. Yeah, I, I actually We've done this a hundred times. <laughs> my movie quote was, who directed Mars Attacks? I guess, I guess I'm too smart for you, guy. I, I, we're such yeah, good you twins. Yeah, got, you got one out of three right. <laughs> well, I got it right before you even asked the question. That's a twin link right there. We're, this is like Ghost in the Shell. We're, we're in a network together. Mm. Oh, yeah. I would hate that. That sucked. That All right. Suck. I have a movie pop quiz. What was DreamWorks' first animated feature film? Good question. So DreamWorks is, was feature, founded... F- feature film? First feature animated film. So DreamWorks was founded by Spielberg and a couple other people. So it has to have been after Pixar started making movies. Um, I'm guessing... I'm going to guess Shrek. What about you, Jacob? Uh, Shrek's either the first or the second one. I know that. Uh, I'll, I'll guess Shrek too, because I, I or Shrek as well, because I I can't think of a movie before that. So <laughs> while a Bug's Life was being made, oh no, Dreamworks, it's Ants. Dreamworks no, stole the, the idea and came out with Ants Damn before it. them. Oh Ants. man! Damn it! <laughs> I knew because, that too. Because we talked about in the Pixar episode, <laughs> yeah. the guy who worked at Pixar lo- lost his job. Then he took the idea and went to DreamWorks, and and they banged it out before. Uh, a Bug's Life came they out. They came out at the same time. Yeah. And that's why the animation is so lacking in color because they rushed it. Yeah. And it, that's, that movie's not even close to as good as a Bug's Studios Life. Studios are cutthroat, bro. Yeah. Studios it's all about are that throat. bottom dollar, bro. <laughs> Gotta make that money. All right. Great question. Good yeah, question, bro. Um, biggest haters of the week, we got any? Yes. Well, do you want to talk about that hater that you got in a fight with on oh, TikTok? I didn't get in a fight with anybody. <laughs> that guy. So this kid, Benjamin, I, I, we explained the prestige very clearly because as well as Nolan does in the film, what it, what it, how it ends and what it all, like the tricks and revealed everything. And this kid, Benjamin, he always, every time we posted about the prestige, he always just goes crazy in the comments. And I was like, and then we were going back and forth. And then he said, you mean Rupert? And I'm like, you can't even get the character's names right. Why am I continuing this discussion? Is no one's named Rupert in the movie? Yeah. He was calling people Rupert called Robert Angier Rupert oh in the my, movie. Clearly hasn't seen it. So like I, I, I ended that debate and I destroyed <laughs> him anyways. But then we had another one some kid. He took a we made a video about Tenant on TikTok where we're talking about this fun theory we didn't come up with the theory we were just expressing the theory where that people have that Eve's character who's played by Aaron Taylor Johnson towards the end of the film um, his character May also be Michael Caine's character about in the thir- in the first act of the film, who the pro- protagonist Sir has Michael. lunch with Sir Michael. So it's possible that they could be the same character. Maybe he was inverting and constantly reverting to go back in time to have that meaning with the protagonist and to be the catalyst for the whole. Yeah, story. Yeah, so he's actually essential to protagonist saving the entire world. So why is it not possible? I mean, it's a Chris Nolan movie about inverting backwards in time. So what's the big deal? But this kid, he made an entire video calling us dumb. It's like, bro, it's a film theory. Relax. It's totally possible. He's but. like, he, he's like, Nolan only put the cocky accent in it because he's like, he grew up around there, and it's like, Nolan doesn't do things just cause. Yeah, he's so very, the, the yeah, characters he's, have the same accent. Yeah, very but, um, particular. And then instead of getting upset, all I wrote was on his video, I wrote, 
haters gonna hate and haters <laughs> gonna hate <laughs> and you know that's basically how i deal with haters nowadays except for benjamin <laughs> when it comes to the prestige so we have so i have a i have a, a good top comment that i really liked is on our christian bale episode lucas leeton commented uh hands down the best fight scene of the last few, five years is christian bale versus matt damon and ford versus ferrari yeah which was i loved it because that fight is so funny the wonder bread yeah he throws the bread at him it's fantastic that seems like a real fight between two guys in their middle age who don't want to actually hurt each other or not in shape and yeah. everything that was my favorite comment of the week it's good all right i have two biggest supporters of the week so we have mac mad 25 she wrote in a review favorite podcast i listened on spotify but had to come to apple Podcasts to leave a review thanks so much for doing that Thank if you. i could rate higher i would but obsessed with this podcast the conversation is great to listen to hilarious and honestly has taught me so much about movies and made my love for them grow we love seeing what they're covering then watching the movie then listening overall a great time couldn't recommend couldn't recommend them more love the podcast guys keep doing what you're doing sending all the love thanks so much mac appreciate Mad. it Thank and you. then also Cincy Dad wrote, great pod. These guys are great. The chemistry between these two is seamless. You would think they're related. We actually are. We hate each other off yeah, camera, guys. Yeah, can't stand it. It's all acting. You boys are doing some great work here. Seriously considering giving up my OnlyFans subscriptions to become a patron <laughs> and support the cause. <laughs> Cincy Dad? Yeah, Cincy oh, hopefully Dad. Hopefully, if you're a Bengals fan, I hope they have a, a better year this year. We might have to get an, an uh, OnlyFans account. But... Yeah, just photos of our cat. <laughs> <laughs> On this day in film history, it's August 19th, and Augustus Caesar became Emperor of Rome in 43 wow. BC. Has nothing to do with movies it's just a cool fact <laughs> movies that came out in 2005 40 year old virgin 2016 war dogs 1973 enter the dragon in 2016 kubo and the two strings and i have uh two streaming recommendations both of them are amazon prime the original italian job with michael kane which is just oh, michael a, it's a good time if you like those old james bond movies it's like that um and then becoming evil serial killer documentary if you guys like true crime and oh serial you told killers, me about that it's pretty crazy is that the doctor up. one it's no no that's dr death okay this is just serial killers in general it's okay. like, like oh a general. getting inside their mind and what makes them become serial killers all right my streaming recommendation is also on amazon prime and it's the wailing which is a really great south korean horror film directed by na hong jin so uh, good. it's really intense really really cool so check it out if you like those kinds of movies all right you guys ready to get back into some anime let's go next up we have yeah. a silent voice released in 2016 directed by naiko yamada a young man is ostracized by his classmates after he bullies a deaf girl to the point where she moves away years later he sets off on a path for redemption this is a top rated movie on imdb at 230 and this is completely different obviously from the movies we've been talking about really and most anime in general especially akira but um it's a beautiful and tragic story about adolescence about learning from your mistakes and it shows the real ups and downs of life and how it can be a roller coaster and brings realism to to anime with these real themes of like mental health especially and anxiety and it's it's a really incredible drama yeah it's it's and there's no fantasy there's no cgi i mean there's no um sci-fi elements to it it's just uh, you know a human drama and that's what i like about this film in contrast with the other movies we're talking about because it, it really pulls at your heart and it's about you know dealing with the consequences of your actions and uh, you know misguided youth and you know it, it's trying to fit in with society and uh, social circles and you know it's a, a very tragic story it's a really beautiful film and also like you said deals with mental illness with you know characters trying to commit suicide and contemplating life and death so it has very very heavy themes and they did a, a really beautiful job with this movie mm -hmm. yeah i this movie made me cry so hard when i, when I watched the ending 
the next three movies did. I cried really hard. I saw your name for the first time mm. yesterday, and because I, I just used that as a as a chance to actually finally watch it. And oh man, uh, yeah, this this film is just just such a I guess divergence from the standard popular anime where it's all about fantasy or action. It's it's so gr- it's all grounded in in reality and. It really just takes time to really, uh, I guess, really look at the human element of uh, and, and human interactions, failure, success, uh, uh, w- just between your own uh, uh, moral actions and uh, focusing on uh, obvious themes of bullying and the treatment of disabled people in society, but also guilt and forgiveness and and how uh, all these sort of can come together and, and, and have a romance blossom from that. And... I just, I absolutely love this film. Yeah, it was, it's one of my f- favorite anime films ever. And it's tragic because um, the lead character Shoya, like Shoya, Shoya, he 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 made a he made a mistake, and he was just a kid, you know. I mean, yes, he was bullying um, Shoko, but you know, he's still they're very young, and you know, kids do stupid things, and obviously, he was uh, motivated by you know his own problems, and but that ended up defining his life and. Your social life when you're a young kid, especially when you're a teen and going through high school, is very important to you. When you go into adulthood, you realize how you know unimportant your relationships in high school is, how impo- unimportant it is to be you like popular and well liked. It's more about you know getting close friend, a few close friends, or a nice a few nice relationships. But he was in a situation where no, he was like you said, ostracized. No one would talk to him because of what he did when he was younger, and it followed him everywhere he went, even when he changed schools. So it's a very difficult movie for this character, and you know he's dealing with so much, and also. Uh, in terms of Shoko obviously being disabled, and it's really cool the actress who dubbed her was also deaf in real life. So I think it was great that they hired uh, a disabled actress to to portray the character as well. But yeah, it's very intense themes. Yeah, and it's amazing we're seeing like a, a boom of deaf actors and deaf stories being told right now. Especially we saw Coda at Sundance, and that's going to yeah. be coming out quiet at place the, at the end of the year. And so we'll be seeing just an influx of people who were never really represented before in film and in cinema, rather than having an actor pretend to be deaf. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's really great and also you know the story follows Shoya and his perspective of how it opens up basically where he's a little older but he's contemplating suicide we learn that really early on then we have the flashbacks to when he's in like middle school and he's bullying Shoko because he's he's fueled by his insecurities his anxieties he can't understand Shoko and why the way she she is the way she is and because they can't he doesn't know how to interact with her he takes it out against her and bullies her and then eventually she transfers because of all the bullying and then like we talked about he becomes ostracized in high school because everyone remembers what he did to Shoko, but also all the kids in the classroom, they were all kind of similar too. Even the girls like started avoiding Shoko and no one really, she just wanted to be friends with somebody. She does the sign for friends, which uh, Shoya, when he eventually ta- finds her notebook and then takes it upon himself to learn sign language and he learns that she was, she was just saying, I want to, want to be friends. Can we be friends with the hand gesture? I'm, yeah, I'm tearing up already. That's all she wanted was to be friends with him. And now it's a great character arc where he's trying to redeem his past and he learns the sign language. He finds Shoko Shoko brings her notebook back and even like the the symbology of symbolism of him when they lose the notebook in the river is when he was a kid he threw in the in the little pond but then it falls into the the river and he jumps into the river to get the notebook it's very symbolic of how he ironically even though he's the one who's contemplating suicide towards the end of the film he saves Shoko from committing suicide by stopping her from jumping off the ledge and him falling into that lake himself. Yeah, I I find the imagery in the, in the movie just powerful. The X imagery specifically is just uh, such a strong element, 
as it, it, it really gives a physical representation of what it feels like to be an outcast for uh, for Shoya. And just really the, uh, I guess, the element as an X typically just means exclusion from things when you have it or to be closed off. Uh, and so for him, he really views that he is closed off from other people, from his past, from bullying uh, Shoko. And when those peel away, I think it's just such a great symbolic element of of just really everything in real life what, what, where X's are used and then in the film which just honestly, right, that, that's the part that really, like, uh, really hit home, I think, for most people watching the film. And then uh, on top of that, the body language in this film is so important as the uh, characterization of Shoko being deaf, that, that deafness has, was really taken into account when portraying these characters and part of the production where characters' body language is as critical to the characterization as the dialogue is. You, you, you learn so much about a character from their body language in these conversations and the just overall sound design of this film was just like very meticulously done to really emulate a uh, a, a hearing impaired person's perception of things. The uh, actually the song that's played when Shoko is being excluded from like the class is actually the microphone is not uh, uh, aimed at a piano, but rather inside the piano. So it muffles the sound. Uh, of of the uh, piano keys uh, of the piano, and it actually uh, emphasizes the noise of the actual mechanics, the mechanical parts of it moving. And I think that really just takes it takes those elements and really just uh, really emphasizes sort of that uh, uh, disconnect, that uh, one that Shoya feels between him and everyone else, and then the disconnect that uh, Shoko has by being deaf and not being able to uh, hear everything else that the other characters are hearing. Yeah, and then ironically. When Shoya is in high school after Shoko is gone, he like I love how you brought up the X's. How he puts X's on people's faces because he's not making eye contact. He can't look at them. He's not looking at them because he's so guilty and, and ashamed of himself. And also, as he's walking down the hallways, he's covering his ears to basically block out all the noise. And so, in a way, he's becoming he's forcing himself to not hear anything like Shoko in a way because he can't stand what he's done in his past. But ultimately, he learns by the end of the film that his his friends did still love him and they did want him to be back in their friend group and it was him he was isolating himself from them i think yeah. out of guilt more than anything he's on like a 12-step program yeah. where he's on the step trying to go get all redemption of all yeah. the wrongs you've done yeah. but ultimately i think this is a really beautiful film and it sets itself apart from the other anime films especially in this list that we're doing because it is just about human drama and human experience and human elements there's nothing extravagant there's no fantasy elements like i said there's no sci-fi there's no crazy tech um, it's just a normal world that we live in, and it's just a human drama. So I think that is its strength for sure compared to these other films. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful movie, and yeah. the animation is superb. Yeah. Let's move on. All right, let's go to Your Name, which was released in 2016, directed by Makoto Shinkai. Two strangers Great pronunciation. I, I'm trying. I it's right, though. <laughs> <laughs> sounded right. <laughs> Two strangers find themselves linked in a bizarre way when a connection forms Will distance be the only thing to keep them apart? This is a top-rated movie on IMDb at number 70. And this is a really interesting film because it's told with events like out of order, kind of like a Nolan Tarantino style. And it's about these characters who are basically switching bodies in a way. It's really fascinating. This is a movie that if Chris Nolan made a love story, this would be, yeah. it would be like this. <laughs> because it's about two characters who are connected, but they're connected across time. Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, Taki and um, Mitsua, they live 
when they're swapping bodies, it's a three-year difference. Mm -hmm. And I, th I believe it's Taki is three years ahead of uh, Mitsuha. So it's really fascinating concept. This movie is really beautiful. It's a great story. And it reminds me of um, Akira where it's very fast. A lot, there's a lot of scenes that and the movie really, uh, the film really propels forward at a, at a fast pace. But it's also a really, really great film about love and connection and these and it's just like Interstellar, where uh, love can connect people between time and space. Yeah, and exactly. It's more powerful than that. Yeah, because that comet comes down and destroys the town that Matsua lives in. Matsua lives in, and then, then Taki finds out eventually and learns that she was killed. And, and it's been three years really since they were connected. And they're they're so then he's trying to reach out to her again and trying to get that connection back. To and then he wants to try to s prevent the comet from destroying the town and killing Mitsuha. So it's a mm. beautiful like, plot. And, yeah, and, it's a very and, complex plot. Yeah, his goal, too. It's, yeah. it's really incredible. Yeah, this movie really blew me away. I've, I had always heard about how good it was, but I never had the chance to watch it until the other day. And wow, it was just, it's an emotional roller coaster. It really is. It really leads you on to think that like events are going in one way and then you reach the halfway point in the film and then you big, big plot reveal. That is just uh, getting started. Yeah, and then you're like, oh no, this that was just like the, the the slow burn of the movie, which was uh, absolutely insane. It uh, it really blew me away, and I think it really comes down to just the uh, the skill that uh, the director Shinkai has, because uh, he's also made two other very successful anime movies, uh, Weathering with You, which came out in 2019, and then Five Centimeters Per Second, which came out in 2007. As five centimeters per second is considered like one of the greatest animated films ever made. It's is it about uh, a I really think he is <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, not really. It's uh, it, it's a very interesting film uh, just between about the relationship between uh, a high school kid and this older woman, and it's it's honestly a really good movie. But the uh, I think he really is an up and comer to the point to where he may become the next Miyazaki, as he is. This is actually the first movie. The first anime film that's not directed by Miyazaki that made more than a hundred million at the Japanese box oh, wow. office. So this was like the the I guess the uh, the first real success out of Ghibli and Miyazaki on, on that scale. The uh, this the overall film is just so well made. I think even with a silent voice being a very beautiful film, I think your name just there's something about it that it's it's sweeping landscape shots it really knows it knows how beautiful it is and really just digs into that with a lot of these long shots of of the giant crater that is the town and and really just takes a second to just enjoy the art style and enjoy everything that is part of the film and i think that's a part of it it really creates an ambiance that really uh i guess pulls the viewer in as like they feel like they're almost there yeah, it's just so good between the relationship between the characters. I think that just the 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 small dialogue moments that just add so much to the characters' uh, personalities. Uh, you learn so much about the characters with that because there's just small dialogue moments that would usually be throwaway lines, but they tell us so much about our characters. And uh, this movie received universal praise, uh, especially by John Musker and Ron Clements, who uh, directed The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Hercules, Treasure Planet. Princess and the Frog and Moana. So like some of the biggest directors at Disney and Pixar are uh, are huge fans of, of this film specifically. I was really and blown away just... by the animation of this. Oh, because, yeah. Because um, what really struck me was, like you said, the the sweeping landscape shots as well. But the, the use of light in this movie is really incredible and authentic to real life especially like how light reflects on surfaces like the, the the way that light reflects on the gold jewelry 
and through how, how it passes through windows and and the reflections. I, I felt like there's because of the CGI technology combined with the animation has come so far, it really brought real world um, imagery and things that we're used to seeing in terms of how light accurately is portrayed and, and reflects on surfaces and passes through areas. I was really blown away by the accuracy to the detail of it. Yeah, and I love the metaphor of uh, with interstellar and love because this connection which they are able to find again um, as the comet comes crashing down and and they're able to evacuate the town and save everybody and uh, Mitsua survives and but she disappears from Taki's memory and he forgets everything once, and it, the, once he gives her back the ribbon yeah and and it's really touching when she sees that instead of writing his name he wrote I love you on her hand it's, oh, I'm getting like emotional <laughs> right now but it's just so it's so incredible that they both can't remember each other and they can't remember this experience they had of, of being in each other's bodies. But then they find each other in the end of the film. They find each other and they don't exactly know who they are at first, but the, the connection is there. And it's just that connection of love and, and emotion and, and humanity just like bringing them back together. And just to, it's just such a beautiful ending. I think I love it so much. So touching. Yeah. Yeah, the production of this movie is just honestly on another level that I wasn't topped until recently with the Demon Slayer movie. The uh, Some awesome things about the uh, writing and just the things included that a lot of people wouldn't catch on if, you, if you're, I guess, newer to anime is the, first of all, the town that uh, Mitsuha lives in, uh, Itomori, is actually, is fictional, but the actual scenery in a lot of the buildings are based on a real location. It's based on Hida City, which is in the Gifu Prefecture uh, in Japan. And uh, there's a lot of references to uh, Shinkai's previous works within this movie. So, for example, with the restaurant that Taki works at, the uh, Il, Guardian, Il, Guardi, Il Giardino del Parole is actually a translation to The Garden of Words, which was Shinkai's previous movie. And the classical Japanese teacher, Miss Yuki, uh, for, uh, for Mitsuha School, is actually the protagonist of uh, Garden of Words, Yukari Yukino. Uh, there's, there's so many just hints to previous works that have been, uh, I guess, pushed into the film. And the uh, something that's a very common uh, theme with that is the red cord that Mitsuha wears in her hair and then eventually gives to Taki, which he holds on to until they find each other again. The uh, That's actually a reference to a, a very old uh, Japanese tale of the uh, red string of fate. And in Japan, there is a basically this string that is attached between two people, which basically means you are fated to... Uh, to uh, be part of each other's lives. And so uh, the moment that Mitsuha in, the, in her time is able to make it to Tokyo and hand him the cord, she is essentially attaching that red string to him, which will then, three years in the future, tie him to be able to swap bodies with her and, uh, and really have that connection that uh, will go on and become then uh, twisted and untangled with uh, the uh, general story elements and the deity they speak of, who was basically involved in everything. Uh, it's just there's so there's so many small things that have just been included in this film that are amazing, especially with the uh, production of of the lights, like you said. Uh, what's crazy about this is uh, there's a lot of uh, I guess behind the scenes production videos that were recorded, and almost everything was done by hand in Photoshop. Each scene was, uh, each frame was uh, essentially made within photoshop painted like and they would go back and uh, like add s very small elements the director would 
basically have to go go in after each scene was finished and he'd look at each individual frame and look at it and find any small imperfection and go back and just come uh, and, and and fix any anything he saw so it was a very time time consuming film and it, to the point of where he is not happy with the movie He's, <laughs> he thinks the movie can be better but he, the budget wasn't enough and so he had to be convinced by the producers to stop working on the movie so they could just release it which is just insane to me for uh, how just uh, I guess it, uh, just meticulous every single part of this film is mm -hmm. yeah and it's a, it's a high concept there's multiple high concepts in terms of the body swap and also the time distance and, and time travel you could say so there's a lot going on it's hard to pull high concepts together in a, a meaningful story but he did a fantastic job with the storytelling and uh, kudos to him for that yeah super emotional film really enjoyed it <clears throat> all right we got one more movie left guys we gotta talk about movie posters oh yeah sorry movie posters you guys know movieposters.com our amazing sponsor head on over to their website and use our promo code raiders 15 off again this is our brand new promo code the old one will not work anymore so if you want to get that 15 percent discount use raiders 15 off at movieposters.com they have a wide array of movie posters pretty much every film you can think of all sorts of sizes framing backlighting everything you need they got it if you're checking out our set on YouTube, we hope you are, you'll see that it's decked out with these posters. We got a few new ones, like I got Silence of the Lambs and I got a Schwarzenegger over there from Predator. <laughs> and Jimmy got a few new ones he's hanging up today. So uh, if you guys need new posters, there's no better place to go than movieposters.com and use our promo code Raiders15 off. Our final film on the episode is Grave of the Fireflies. It was released in 1988, directed by Isao Tahakata. Two children trying but it, it follows two children trying but failing to survive in World War II, Japan's top-rated movie on IMDb at number 45. And my God, this movie left me a wreck for days. It's unrelentingly sad. It's an incredible war film in general, besides just being about anime. And it's, it just follows these characters, uh, Sita and Satsuko, his younger sister, on their journey trying to survive in this world where it seems that all innocence is gone and there's really kind of almost no hope left. Yeah, and war is a terrible thing, and no matter what side of the war you're on, it's going to have horrible effects on your country and your people, and this is an, a testament to that and an example of that. Where And it's something that we don't really see in Western culture, the, the Japanese side, not, not the Japanese war machine side, but the Japanese innocent side, you know, the people that living in that country during this time. We've seen plenty of things about our side and also the European side, so it's, it's great to see exposure to that part of the story and to see what those people went through you know it's a, a terrible thing world war ii was an extremely dis destructive event and that changed the world forever and no matter what side you're on you lost plenty and you know we hope that things like this never happen again and it's important to empathize with opposite sides of wars what do you think jacob for sure this is uh, a really good film especially i think it's think it's ghibli's best film that was not made by miyazaki the just everything about it the uh it really give gives you an idea of what it's like to be on the opposite end of things because a lot of the time these war films will typically uh i guess romanticize a lot of these characters uh, who are involved in this but we don't really get to see the the insides of the innocent people who are not involved in in this conflict they are just they're, they're merely a a bystander being forced to experience the uh, the the negative parts of this. It's really, it's like what we get to see with the uh, the Great Depression and sort of uh, some of the people who really are uh, suffering because of the war. 
And just this entire film is just sad through and through. There's really, there's very few moments where you're kind of like, oh, okay, at least something good's happening. It's like not like not for 90% of the film, you were just like, wow. Uh, I, I just it it's just so depressing and just emotionally draining. And you know, it's to, to it, see just there aren't funny moments, but there are nice moments between uh, the two of them. Like when she salutes him and she's wearing like the the hat and stuff, and like when they're in the water, like things like that, which you need to develop the relationship between the brother and sister. But like you said, otherwise this movie is just very heavy and very dark, but it has to be. Yeah, but usually the scenes and shots where there are those moments of of niceness and, and innocence and, and beauty in a way, it's usually short-lived, just like how you could say innocence is so fragile and this film depicts that. I think the another scene that shows it so clearly is when they're on their own and they're in the cave and then they get the fireflies to light up the cave and brighten everything up so they can see. And, it's, and uh, Satsuko thinks it's so beautiful. They're flying around and like, wow, this is incredible. It's magical and it's beautiful cinematic photography and animation but then the next morning all the fireflies are dead because you know that's innocence and beauty and how it's just quickly dies in this time of war and, and also foreshadows yeah obviously foreshadows because this movie opens up with with sita's death you know this young boy dies at this train station and and not only that there there's another young boy that's dead there too and the, and the sad thing is we never even get to see his story or the other stories of those other children. We only follow Sita and Sasuko and their story. So all of these children who have died from not, not, no actions of their faults or anything like that, they have intense stories, I'm sure, as well. But we don't even see that. We just see these two. And, and then obviously the horrific and terrible ending towards the end of the film spoilers alert <laughs> where where Satsuko dies and because Sita couldn't get her the food enough because she was she died of malnutrition and 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 horribly no matter where they go they go to the farmers they go to the doctors no one will help them and the doctors even like oh she just needs some food and he's like how am I supposed to get food right now everything's rationed and they left their aunt's house so it's almost impossible for a child to survive on their own right now and it shows the effects of wartime on just normal people where like the aunt becomes a horrible character and, tr and doesn't want them there anymore and like the farmer like attacks them and kicks them out so like even like your neighbors they become enemies in a time like this where everyone is just doing everything they, they everything they can just to survive the next day and you can't survive outside of the system because mm -hmm. again everything's rationed and also it's almost impossible to survive in the system in a way you know mm -hmm. Sure. This uh, this film is honestly just really it really looked at its subject matter and 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 really did it with grace. The uh, the film's actually based off of a semi um autobiographic book of the same name, which is because the author of this book did have a younger sister who died uh, during World War Two, and this so it it's very much pulling from real elements and things we saw in the war during the war, and uh, it really took its time to make sure it dealt with that subject matter the best way possible. Part of this is um, it was actually the first anime to ever use brown for the illustration outlines rather than the standard black you'd see. So when rewatching the film, you'll see that all the characters, all their, uh, I guess, all the outlines on them are now in, in brown pen rather than the standard black. And something that's very interesting is that the it, it, it seems like it's conveying anti-war themes, but the director is actually very staunchly saying that while the, for, the film is not anti-war, although uh, he himself is, and it's something, uh, just a very interesting dichotomy within it as it's more his intent with it was to emphasize society's failure to perform the, the most basic thing they need to do is protect its own people. And it's not even, they're not able to do that. They, you see all these children who are now dying 
uh, for a for a failing war for a failing war front that and these children are basically abandoned by all the people in society who were supposed to protect them and really just the between that and the analogy of the fireflies is just uh, something that I think really makes this film stand out as uh, as, as a must watch for uh, any sort of anyone who's big into war films. I feel like this gives you a perspective that is just really I can't think of another film that really treats war in this fashion. That's a great point about the failure of the society and you can say the failure of the government in that country and the military because that society was tri- was um, conditioned to in the military conditioned the society to believe like we're going to fight fight this war to the last man woman and child like we're we're never going to surrender and we won't we'll we'll keep fighting until every child is dead so i think that their military failed their society and their population for sure so yeah, that's a great yeah. point you could say it's similar to akara where akara where um who's to blame you know the bureaucracies of the government and and not really treating their people like human beings you know mm-hmm. they're just kind of there they're they're pawns in their schemes and their games and just it gets, it's like you said it's not anti-war it's it's basically i think shows the realism of war and the effects it has on the people the of the country you know yeah. how much it costs like you said of, yeah. of the lives it's it's really very exactly. powerful movie yeah yeah, the fireflies. I think something that might be missed by a lot of viewers is the actual meaning of the grave of the fireflies. Is because you you have the literal imagery of the fireflies that they catch to light the the hole they're in, and and then they die. But grave of the fireflies is also an analogy for the uh, bombing of Japan and the, how their lives were ruined by by the bombing. And so some things you they it makes some allusions to this within some of their. Uh, advertisements like with one of the posters for the film if when you brighten it up you see that some of the lights on there are not fireflies but incendiary bombs that are being dropped on japan and then uh in another one the uh on one of the posters if you uh, uh basically make increased saturation to guess distinguish some of the word colors you'll see that one of the clouds that was there is actually uh, a bomber and so the uh, the fireflies don't just mean the, uh, I guess, the literal bugs that you see in the film, but really the uh, uh, what's left after these bombs are dropped uh, as these as fire basically flies or rains down from the sky and uh, how that really uh, and what's left afterwards is just orphan children who are forced to be on their own and uh, the outcome of that. Yeah, because the rain of explosives. Because yeah. we yeah. see the U.S. retaliation of Pearl Harbor, and so that's mm-hmm. what we see in the film. And so mm-hmm. this is a really, really emotional and powerful movie. And if you like war films, you got to check it out. It's, it's, it's one of the, the best you'll see. And if you want to cry, watch this movie. All right, and I think that wraps our episode on anime. Thank you so much, Jacob, for joining us. You killed it. You did a terrific we job, you. bud. Yeah, you're, you're awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on here. Where can people find you and your content? Uh, you can find me on uh, TikTok and Twitter uh, at KosserVO, K-O-S-S-L-E-R-V-O. Uh, I make content really about mostly comics at the moment, but I want to expand to other kinds of entertainment. But yeah, that's it's mostly me breaking down more of the complex storylines, what to expect out of uh, future content from DC and Marvel. So yeah, you can follow me there. All right. Thanks so much, pal. Everyone tuning in. Thank you for tuning in around the world. Make sure to become a patron today and get all the exclusive perks for patrons only. Take care, everyone. Bye. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.